This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. We have sad news this morning of the passing of Tom Vale, the longtime owner and publisher of The Plain Dealer. I can say pretty confidently that it were it not for Tom Vale, you would not be listening to this podcast because in the 60s, Tom Vale sold The Plain Dealer to the Newhouse family, one of the last owners of newspapers that actually cares about journalism. And the reason Cleveland still has vigorous journalism is because we're part of the Newhouse chain. Tom was a giant of Cleveland journalism. He took The Plain Dealer and changed it into a nonpartisan newspaper from its heavy Republican leanings and wrote the front page editorial endorsing Carl Stokes for mayor. And Stokes became the first black mayor of a major American city. Uh, sad day for the passing of Tom Vale. He was 97. We'll have a full obituary of him published on our site and in The Plain Dealer. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Layla Atassi, Laura Johnston, and Lisa Garvin. And we begin with Laura. I say up front that this has nothing to do with the criminal case involving the very corrupt HB6 bribery scandal. But, Laura, why do lawyers in the civil suit over the corruption want to talk to John Houston and get some records from Mike DeWine? Well, I can't tell you exactly what they're looking to get because everybody's being pretty tight-lipped about this. But Houston's scheduled to be deposed by the investors that are suing First Energy in connection with House Bill 6. And that'll happen sometime in the early spring like win or late winter. And Governor DeWine received a subpoena on November 17th for documents. These are both part of the civil suit. Obviously, it's separate, but it mirrors the same basic allegations that First Energy Corporation paid multi-million dollar bribes to both Householder and Sam Randazzo. He was the head of the PUCO in exchange for legislation and favorable treatment. And DeWine had appointed Randazzo to the job shortly after he took office in 2019. So uh, Houston's also received a subpoena for documents. Houston's spokeswoman provided that to us. And DeWine's spokesman said the administration needs to consult with lawyers before it discusses the substance of the subpoenas. So we, again, don't know exactly what they're looking for here. Yeah, I guess this shouldn't be surprising because Mike DeWine no. did sign HB6. He did appoint Sam Randazzo, even though there were lots of red flags about why he should not. Uh, John Houston has longtime ties to First Energy as well. They've never in any document or any testimony we've seen been implicated in any way in the bribery scandal. Nothing mm -hmm. has come up about them. But because of their involvement as government officials, I imagine lawyers do want to know whatever they know. Right. And there are a lot of really interesting ties here. So there were text messages that showed Randazzo and two First Energy executives discussed basically what was happening after they had dinner with DeWine and Houston. Um, they credited DeWine and Houston with performing, quote, battlefield triage, saving Randazzo's nomination. Um, and then, so the subpoenas, like we do, I said, I don't know exactly what 
is going on with them, but they pertain to two people, Dan McCarthy and Alice DeWine. And Alice DeWine is a governor's daughter who ran for Greene County prosecutor and lost uh, money from a from First Energy flowed into a committee called Protecting Ohio Incorporated, which paid for some advertisements to support Alice DeWine's campaign. And then McCarthy served as DeWine's legislative director. And he, before was he was the director, had incorporated Partners for Progress. That was a nonprofit that funneled roughly $11 million from First Energy into Generation Now. That's the nonprofit that Householder controlled. So there are these you know, connections. And obviously, they both of these people are state house insiders and have been for a long time. So obviously, First Energy had been working with the state house for a long time. Look, DeWine has a history now of appointing ethically challenged people to different positions. We've questioned it over and over again, and he keeps doing it. If I were a lawyer in the civil case, I would love to get Mike DeWine in a deposition and say, okay, all the red flags are there. Randazzo was a terrible choice. Everybody knew that. Why in the hell did you pick him in spite of all that? Because we've never gotten a a straight answer Mm -hmm. about that. We get a lot of nonsense about, well, he knew the industry. I mean, he was he was a disaster. He was always going to be a disaster and turned out to be a disaster. And Mike DeWine picked him. So it would be great to see him under oath try to explain that. Let's point out that Randazzo's still not been charged three in how many years, you know, three months yeah, later. Yeah, well, that raises questions about Parker, the U.S. attorney in the Southern District, and why he doesn't appear to be doing his job here and finishing out this case. The people in the private side have been going scot-free. The, the people who made the decision to do the bribery at First Energy, no charges. Randazzo, who record show got $4 million in bribes. No charges. Makes no sense. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Most people expected the Ohio Supreme Court to reject the latest gerrymandering lawsuit on its merits. They did reject it, but not on its merits. Lisa, why did the Supremes toss the lawsuit? So basically, in a nutshell, they said since the current legislative maps were passed with bipartisan support, that uh, the case is moot and the lawsuit allegations are moot. So they had no view on the merits of the plaintiff's proposed objections to the maps that were approved in September of 2023 with the two Democrats on the redistricting commission going along. Of course, it was a four to three ruling, so it was split right along party lines. Um, So this current map will be in place until 2030, unless voters approve a proposed amendment next November to overhaul the redistricting process in Ohio. So this current map gives the Republicans 61 of 99 House seats, 23 of 33 Senate seats. Um, In her dissent, Democratic Justice Jennifer Bruner said that it's illusory to suggest that bipartisan vote diminishes the court's review power over the case or makes the plan constitutionally compliant. Um, Democratic redistricting committee members Allison Russo of Columbus and Nikki Antonio of Lakewood said they voted for the maps, and we've reported on this, because they feared that the Republican members of the commission would approve maps even more favorable to them. Uh, Jen Miller with the Ohio League of Women Voters is exhorting Ohio voters to support this redistricting amendment, uh, which is called Citizens Not Politicians. She says we deserve fair representation we can only do that if we take mapping out of the hands of corrupt politicians. Yeah, and our editorial board has already spoken on that last year when we said, go, 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 Maureen O'Connor, do this. I'm sure we will be supporting it throughout 
next year. This has to happen. I do give some credit to the Supreme Court for ducking the merit argument. I think the Supreme Court justices saw what happened in August and November with large numbers of Ohioans fighting back against the nonsense coming out of the state house. So rather than rule on the merits and face that wrath, they, they go with technicalities. Well, the conditions have all changed. So the lawsuit really doesn't apply anymore. So we're going to toss it. I guess somebody could always file a new lawsuit saying, here are all the current conditions. But what's the point of that, right? right. Be- the, the, we're, we're going to vote very likely on completely overhauling this system next year. Our energy should go there. The, 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 you're never going to win with this Supreme Court. So skip it. Let's go straight to next November and revamp the system. And I think that's part of the strategy of uh, Antonio and Russa. They're saying, you know, the real battle is next November. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it, it's just interesting that the Supreme Court was smart enough to avoid the big debate on the merits. That that That's wisdom that we haven't seen a lot of there. Smart move. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Cleveland is about to do something we've never seen before, something that will deprive some agencies that serve all of Cuyahoga County of millions of dollars in taxes. Layla, what are we talking about? We are talking about the city's plan to extend five TIFs for 30 more years to help pay for public infrastructure improvements downtown and and elsewhere in the city. And TIF is short for tax increment financing, and it means capturing the increase in non-school property taxes that's generated when a property's value rises because it was redeveloped, and then diverting that those dollars away from public coffers and using it for other stuff. So those tax dollars usually go back into those projects to help pay down construction debt. So for example, the TIFs in question here were originally used to finance the redevelopment of East 4th Street the Hilton and Weston Hotels and Steelyard Commons, and the Veterans Affairs Hospital. So these five TIFs that we're talking about will expire in 2033, but council this week authorized their renewal for another 30 years. Then the plan is for three of these TIFs to become seed money for this unprecedented TIF overlay district that the city wants to create downtown to pay for lakefront development. And we're going to have more on that and how that works in the coming weeks here. But what's interesting and kind of controversial about these TIF extensions is that the state is allowing the, the money that's collected from them to be spent outside the boundaries of the property with the TIF. So they can use that money elsewhere. And the city is saying that only the city of Cleveland, not any county entity, will get a cut of that tax revenue. That means that Cleveland will be able to control how to spend the TIF money, and it won't be going to countywide agencies that usually receive a pretty big portion of property taxes. So we're talking about like the metro parks or the library system. This is a betrayal of the public trust. I'm throwing the flag on this. This is completely wrong. We all go to the polls, the whole county, to vote for a Metro Parks tax, for example. And the belief is that every property owner pays their fair share. The TIFs were created to make sure some development happens. So, like you said, the hotels got a TIF. The, the, the improvement, the taxes on that improvement helped finance those projects to get them done. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. So so the projects are done. To then say the next 30 years of taxes they generate will not go to the metro parks, they won't get their share, and we will spend it any way we want, 
That is a corruption of the entire tax system. Mm-hmm. The Metro Parks operates two big parks in Cleveland, mm-hmm. and Cleveland is thumbing their nose at them, saying, too bad, we're not paying our share. This should be hugely controversial. Everybody in the suburbs should be raising holy hell because Cleveland has just decided it's not going to pay its fair share of taxes for countywide services, of which they get a lot. If you think about the human services levies, you know, a lot of that money is spent in Cleveland. And now they're saying, yeah, but we're not going to pay our fair mm-hmm. share for that. I'm astounded that this is happening. And I can't imagine that the mayors and managers associations aren't going to raise hell about it. I don't know if Brian Zimmerman will because he's pretty political and doesn't want to create controversy, but this is sticking it to the Metro Parks. Well, we are definitely uh, uh, making the rounds and uh, we're going deeper on this issue because we too have wondered what county leaders, what you know, GCP, what the Metro Parks and other countywide agencies that would otherwise get a share of that money would have to say about this. So readers should stay tuned. Well, the, the, the county council is talking about taking some of the taxes to help out Metro Health, to pay more money to Metro Health. Mm-hmm. Metro Health is in Cleveland, serves a lot of Cleveland residents. And Cleveland is saying, too bad. We're not adding our money to that. We're going to keep it to spend as we see fit. I, I just it's I cannot understand how this is even legal because it unbalances the entire property tax system. More to come on this, just a shocking development out of the city of Cleveland. You are listening to Today in Ohio. We learned months ago that there would be no criminal charges against Akron police officers in the killing of Jalen Walker. Now we have the internal investigation on whether officers violated any policies. Laura, it seems that at least one officer kind of did, but what does the report overall say? Yeah, this is coming from Chief Steve Milet from Akron, who's actually retiring as of January. And he said the eight officers who shot Walker 45 times had actions that were, quote, objectively reasonable. So they will not be disciplined. But you're right. There were at least two violations of city policy that they found. But he basically said, well, they didn't mean to and they weren't going to change the outcome. So therefore, it doesn't matter. He just said the facts of the circumstances of the tragic shooting show that the the officers thought that Walker was armed and was an imminent risk. The attorney for Walker's family basically said everyone should be encouraged to read what the chief of police wrote. He Because he said it was in compliance with the policies of the Akron Police Department, that said it all. And so he's feeling like this wasn't a very fair shake. So the Two things they did find was that an officer had added an extension to his department-issued gun, and that increased the capacity up to six additional rounds of bullets. He was questioned about this. The officer said, well, another guy told me it was fine. They reviewed the agency policies procedures, found that they were vague, and decided that that was not a violation he was going to be disciplined for. They've since added clear language. I believe he also had training uh, bullets in his gun. And then There was a separate one where a couple of officers joined the chase without getting superior's permission first. That's against the rules. And they didn't turn on body cams. They said, well, that'll be fixed now because now we have the dash cams. But it does feel like they're kind of brushed aside any possible problems with what the the officers did. Yeah, Let's talk about that extended magazine, though, because there's no way the language in their policies doesn't say police have to use their their police issued weapon. They're not allowed to just bring in any gun. I'm positive of that, Mm -hmm. right? 
to, to add a magazine that allows you to fire more bullets goes right to the heart of this case because this case is about the number of bullets that were fired mm -hmm. at Jalen Walker. How they can say this is immaterial makes no sense to me. This one is directly material. He added a magazine to his gun so he could shoot more bullets without the approval of his supervisors and yet go scot-free. The idea of joining the chase without permission. We saw that in Cleveland some years mm -hmm. back. Remember the East Cleveland chase where every police car in the city just decided it's cowboy time and, and got involved? It was a huge controversy. And that You're was another Another you're not allowed shots. to do it. You're just, it's not okay. You have a policy. It says you don't join a chase unless your supervisor says so. I don't get how they just, just whitewashed this whole thing and said, it's all fine. It, it makes no sense. They had officers break the rules. There should have been discipline in those cases. And the report lays it all out. It's like, yeah, they broke the rules, but man, we think it's immaterial. So we're not going to discipline anybody. And when you do that, you kind of, you make people lose faith in you, right? Because you're saying nobody did anything wrong. It's all fine. And obviously these officers were not charged. The grand jury decided that they shouldn't be charged. But if you find they break the rules and you clearly laid out that they did, then follow your rules. And I mean, you're not yeah. going to be punished for shooting Jalen Walker, but you could be published, punished for the, the part that you played in it. Yeah, this is very different from the, the, the decision not to charge him criminally. There were a lot of arguments in favor of that decision. Th this is one that just, it, you're right, it's going to cost all the credibility. The, the police are just covering their tracks and not being honest about what happened here. You're but they are to being honest. <laughs> they well, said it no. doesn't matter anyway. No, they're, they're being dishonest and saying it's immaterial. It's not immaterial. Right. Well, that's, it's yeah. directly yeah. material and to not have any discipline whatsoever is kind of mind-boggling. You're listening to Today in Ohio. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Voters overwhelmingly passed issue two earlier this month to legalize marijuana, and we already have our first proposed bill to change it before the law even takes effect next week. Lisa, what would that proposal do? It's called House Bill 341, and it was introduced Tuesday by its sponsor, Gary Click, the Republican from Sandusky County. What it will do is redirect some of the tax revenues from marijuana sales to fund law enforcement training. In this bill, he says the 10% tax rate won't change, but they're just going to be moving the money around a little bit. So issue two called for four funds to be you know, funded by the, the revenues. One was for cannabis social equity and jobs, uh, host community cannabis fund for municipalities, uh, substance abuse and addiction fund, and then a tiny 3% to the Division of Cannabis Control and Tax Commissioners Fund for regulations and, and operations. But Click's plan would reduce these allocations. They're about 36% more or less a piece, although the 3% for the division. Um, and he adds two more funds. So he's 
basically saying all of them will get about 19.4% of the revenues. The new fund would be a law enforcement cannabis training fund. Grants would be awarded by the attorney general's office to support programs and cover administrative expenses related to marijuana offenses. And then he also split the substance abuse and addiction fund into two separate funds. One would be for addiction and recovery, and the other one would be for research and education. He says that we have to communicate the harms of marijuana to the public, especially kids. He does believe marijuana is a gateway drug. And he says just because it's legal doesn't make it safe or beneficial. (laughs) Which is, yeah, it it was one of those cockamamie arguments. It's like, yeah, the people legalized it. I have to respect that, but I don't. Um, Look, all of the way they spend the money, okay, fine. They want to mess around with that, move the dollars around. It's fine. The much more troubling part of his bill is the part that would change the prohibition on local governments from limiting marijuana. What's that about? Yeah, so there's a rule in issue two right now. It bans local governments from assessing additional fees on marijuana sales, banning home growers, and limiting research entities from studying weed. So um, House Bill 341 would remove those prohibitions, which would kind of make it the wild, wild west. Well, and think about it. Their argument for stopping cities from regulating guns is to not have the patchwork so that everybody knows what the rules are. This flies in the face of that. People voted to legalize this and to legalize homegrown marijuana, giving municipalities the power to just say, no, we're not going to follow the will of the voters is mind boggling. And it flies in the face of every argument they've ever made when they try and stop local control. I'll be amazed if they continue down that path because it just turns them into full hypocrites. There's no justification for that one. There's just not. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We're Cleveland and other cities, which were geared up for leaf collection, ready for the blast of snow that hit Northeast Ohio yesterday morning. How do they do with the first big snowfall of the season? And as temperatures rise today and specifically tomorrow, with all those uncollected leaves blocking gutters, are we going to have any flooding? Layla? Yeah, well, you're right that many of us were still in the midst of, of pulling our leaves to the curb when we got blasted with this weather. And they say that we'll just uh, have to wait until the snow melts in the coming days and then get right back to the leaf collection. But crews in Cleveland, for example, had completed about 40% of their seasonal leaf pickup workload. And they expect to resume that work today or tomorrow morning. The city uses the same trucks to uh, to plow snow. So the plows will have to be removed in you know the coming days and the vehicles will go back to the leaf pickup mode. Among the suburbs, leaves are handled kind of similarly in a lot of places. Westlake, for example, has trucks that take care of both duties. Same with Strongsville. And everyone's got their crews on the street clearing snow. You're, you know, that's that's been cleared for the most part. Cleveland Heights had 12 trucks on the road uh, when, the, when the blast first happened. As for the flooding concern, um, that's another another thing. All as all of that snow melts, you know, the National Weather Service says we shouldn't have to worry too much about that because temperatures are expected to gradually rise. Temperatures would have to reach about fifty degrees or higher uh, pretty quickly for there to be a flooding problem. Rivers and streams could briefly rise, and there could be some nuisance flooding, like puddling in streets where sewer openings are clogged by leaves, but nothing that should endanger life or property. So I think we're going to have a, you know, quickly get back to picking up the leaves. That was some heavy snow. It was wet and heavy snow. So I would imagine we have people feeling it today from clearing their walks. Laura, you you shoveled, right? You feeling it today? 
No, actually, I'm still feeling the jazzercise workout I did on Saturday. So <laughs> okay. there were a lot of uppercuts in that one. <laughs> right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. So it's not one of the movie stars who bought the Christmas Story house in Cleveland. It's someone local. Who is he and what is his attachment to this popular tourist attraction, Laura? This is Joshua Dickerson. He has worked there for 16 years. So he's the current house and museum CEO, and he's taking an equity stake in the company, becoming the managing partner. That is a, a statement from owner Brian Jones, who I guess sold it to him. But you're right. This was big internet news. It was back and forth. It was who's going to buy it. Is it going to be you know, one of the kids from the movie? And all of that turns out to have absolutely no basis in reality. Well, but you do like his commitment to it. I mean, it's it, yeah. There, there was a thought. Look, this has become very, very popular. I've done it. It's a cool place to take people to, mm-hmm. and to have somebody who understands the history and and clearly is committed to it take it over. That's a a great development, I think. Absolutely. He apparently. I mean, he started. I think in the. I want to say, yeah, warehouse employee. He helped friends and families in their job at the company. And then he worked his way up to CEO. So he's been doing this heavy lifting behind the scenes for 16 years. I'm sure no one knows this property better than him and knows what it needs to thrive. And so this comes at, you know, the peak Christmas story season. So good for him. I wish him all the luck. And I wish they would turn the Home Alone house in Chicago into the same kind of attraction. <laughs> Don't you? Wouldn't that be fun? It would be. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, Complete with cool. the buckets, the swinging buckets. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The obstacle course. Somebody needs to create this house. They did make a Lego project out of it. So you can recreate it. Which I have because uh, you encouraged me to buy that for my kids. <laughs> All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Forever chemicals are on the scary, one of the scarier environmental threats of recent years. And with any environmental threat comes civil lawsuits. An appellate court is not having any of that, though. Why did the Sixth Circuit Court reject the class action that it would have covered a lot of Ohioans, Lisa? And they say that probably would have covered every single American. I think that's why they rejected it. But this is a panel of three federal appeals judges. They rejected a 2018 lawsuit that was filed by an Ohio firefighter, Kevin Hardwick, and he was suing large chemical manufacturers like 3M, DuPont, and others. And he alleges that the fire foam that he used in his 20 years years as a firefighter is to blame for the elevated levels of PFAs or polyfluoroalkyl substances in his blood. They're also known as forever chemicals because they linger a really long time in the environment and in your body. It was a class action suit. It would have included all Ohioans with at least 0.05 0.05 points per trillion of PFOI, which PFOA, which is a subtype in their blood. But the judges said, as I said, that could include every American and over 11 million Ohioans. He's, they say that the lawsuit lacks uh, proof that the likelihood that PFAs can be traced to these specific defendants and manufacturers. Hardwick's attorney, Rob Bilot, is is kind of a power player in this arena. He won a $671 million judgment from DuPont back in 2017 on behalf of 3,500 plaintiffs theirs, and this was made into a movie called Dark Waters. They're evaluating appeal, but they're they're not sure what they're going to do next. Okay. It's, uh, it'd be interesting if you had every American part of a class action lawsuit and, and that's not usually what happens, but we'll have to, uh, we'll have to see if they come back and, and get this back into the system. 
You're listening to Today in Ohio. We just got word that not only did Tom Vail die, the next day his wife Iris died. So we'll have both obituaries in Cleveland.com and on The Plain Dealer. Conservative media like Fox News keep working to convince everyone that the economy under Joe Biden is a disaster. You'd never know that from the way people spent money over the weekend. What do we know about Black Friday and Cyber Monday shopping, Layla? We saw record-breaking consumerism this past week. The National Retail Federation says 200.4 million consumers shopped from Thanksgiving Day through Cyber Monday, surpassing last year's record of 196.7 million. And that also blasted through their prediction of 182 million shoppers. And despite the prediction that fewer people would shop in person, following this kind of long-standing trend of decreased in-person shopping in general, there was a 4.6% increase on Black Friday of people shopping in the actual stores. Black Friday attracted 76.2 million in-person shoppers, up from 72.9 million in 2022, Consumers spent just over $321 on average. And despite all of that, analysts are still, though, saying that when all is said and done, we're going to find that shoppers were pretty frugal this year and that holiday sales will kind of fall short of their expectations. I've been amazed at how much naysaying there is about the economy. There have been a lot of stories about this yeah. of late that are saying, why, why are people so down on the economy? It's actually roaring in a way that we don't see a lot of, but it, it is partly because the people on Fox News and other places like that keep telling everybody you're screwed. The, the economy's terrible and you're suffering because of it. And it seems like it's working to get into people's sites. But I think people also too, they look at their grocery bill and they look at their gas bill. And to them, that's an indicator of the economy in that, you know, so that's. And prices clearly have gone up for food. Right, right. <laughs> so. Did any right. of you do any Black Friday shopping? No. 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 <laughs> Some people love that tradition. I mean, they get up in the middle of the night to go to stores. Well, I, I just am thankful that they no longer have like the 5 p.m. on Thanksgiving opening right. hours where people would skip their turkey dinner to camp out for like a TV. I, that was the most asinine tradition we had in America. <laughs> and I am glad that it is over. But... I think that, I mean, cyber, I don't know. Like, I don't know how you get the best deal. I feel like I, I, I am not kidding when I said I, I bought and returned the same fleece four times because it got cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And how are you ever <laughs> supposed to know when you're getting the best deal? Yeah. Well, it, one thing's for clear. We might have lost the Black Friday mania, but our email boxes sure fill up this oh, time my of gosh. year. Oh, my gosh. It's a just good way to unsubscribe because you just get yeah. all of them and you unsubscribe from one after mm -hmm. another. That's it for the Wednesday episode of Today in Ohio. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, everybody who listens. We'll be back on Thursday talking about the news.